What's up, Boston? It's Friday, February 3rd, and that means it's time again. Finally. For another installment of the Friday Five, where we update you on the latest news from Boston and around the United States. After the long wait of the holidays, we're back. I'm Chris Atienza. I'm Landry Harlan. With the Boston University News Service, or BUNS for short. We have a lot to catch you all up on this week, so let's get right to it. Today is the 15th day of the presidency of Donald Trump. Controversy, protests, and White House leaks have marked Trump's first two weeks in power, most notably with his executive order that went into effect on Saturday, barring refugees from seven predominantly Muslim countries for 90 days. Chaos and confusion erupted at airports nationwide due to the rushed nature of the order, which left many immigration officials and White House staffers, including Defense Secretary General James Mattis, in the dark, according to CNN. President Trump defended the ban at the National Prayer Breakfast Thursday morning. We will develop a system to help ensure that those admitted into our country fully embrace our values of religious and personal liberty, and that they reject any form of oppression and discrimination. In a report from CBS Detroit, a federal judge in Detroit today has ordered the administration to stop enforcing the ban, reaffirming that the travel ban does not apply to lawful permanent residents of the United States including those with green cards. Four states, New York, Virginia, Washington, and Massachusetts, have filed lawsuits since over the legality of the ban. More on this from Rob Carter in a bit. The Trump administration argues that the ban will stand up to legal scrutiny, and Press Secretary Sean Spicer said Tuesday that it is fully legal. A poll by Reuters and Ipsom finds a majority of Americans support the ban by a seven-point margin. Trump nominated Neil Gorsuch Wednesday to fill the vacancy left by Justice Antonin Scalia on the Supreme Court, a seat that sat vacant for almost a year. Gorsuch is known as a staunch conservative and constitutional originalist, with one of his most notable legal opinions occurring in Hobby Lobby stores versus Sibelius, where Gorsuch ruled in favor of private companies raising religious objections to paying for contraception for women covered under their health claims. With a filibuster planned by the Democrats, Vice President Mike Pence was asked in a PBS NewsHour interview Wednesday if Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell might have to use the nuclear option to change the Senate rules and make filibustering impossible. I'm hopeful that he does. The president and, and our entire team are, are committed uh, to supporting Judge Gorsuch's nomination. According to CNN, the Senate voted early today to advance Education Secretary nominee Betsy DeVos to a final confirmation vote in the House of Representatives on Monday. DeVos, a charter school advocate, has received criticism for her performance at her confirmation hearing, with two Republican representatives, Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, pledging to vote against her confirmation. Here's Murkowski at DeVos's confirmation hearing, voicing the concerns of her constituents about DeVos's experience. Their concerns center, as mine do, on Mrs. DeVos's lack of experience with public education and the lack of knowledge that she portrayed in her confirmation hearing. Since all Democrats pledged to vote against DeVos as well, the current vote tally is 50-50, with the tiebreaker vote going to Vice President Mike Pence. So it seems Congress is hard at work to make some big changes that were implemented during the Obama administration. In a big victory for supporters of the Second Amendment, Congress voted to overturn an Obama administration rule that prevented people who are mentally ill from obtaining firearms. NPR reports that the rule would have needed the Social Security Administration to send records of those with severe mental disabilities to the FBI. This vote would have approximately allowed 75,000 people who are unable to manage their own finances access to guns. 
Texas Representative Sam Johnson says that these types of background checks are wrong to implement on disabled Social Security recipients. Just because someone has a disability does not mean they're a threat to society. Furthermore, needing help to manage your benefit does not make you dangerous. Now, the 45th president has made quite the entrance into the presidency, as Landry has said. Trump has shown a fascinating amount of executive power with the signing of multiple executive orders in these few days of his presidency. Some of these orders included the reinstatement of the Mexico City policy, which affects funding for abortions. Now, the Washington Post reports that President Trump plans to sign an order today to ease the regulations placed on Wall Street that were originally established after the 2008 financial crisis. And some people are also concerned about a leaked draft of an executive order that could weaken the protections of the LGBT community. ABC News reports that while White House officials say that the draft could be one of hundreds of possible executive orders, they emphasize that the drafts do not all reflect the administration thinking or likely policy. This does also shortly follow after the president recently commented on his commitment to protect the rights of all Americans, which includes the LGBT community. I'm sure there'll be much more to talk about next week about the administration. So let's throw it off to Rob Carter and Aaron Waite. We'll look this up. As much as we don't ever want the local section to just be a rehash of national news. Yeah, that's Landry and Chris's section, and we really don't want to invite that comparison. They run the show for a reason. Unfortunately, though, sometimes Boston being part of the nation is going to blur that line between our segments a bit. And during our little hiatus from the five, that was certainly the case. Yep, as much as we like to tease you about believing every story revolves entirely around Boston, our city has actually been at the center of a lot of national headlines. Let's start with Healy. The Massachusetts Attorney General announced on Monday that she would be joining in a fourth lawsuit against the president, this one opposing the legality of his executive order banning immigrants from seven majority Muslim countries from entering the United States. Healy met with reporters Tuesday to outline her grievances with the order. The executive order is harmful, discriminatory, and unconstitutional. It discriminates on the basis of religion and national origin, denies our residents access to due process and equal protection of the law, and violates federal immigration law. Healy is just one of the Massachusetts political leaders opposing this ban. Boston Mayor Marty Walsh has made appearances at protests in Logan Airport and Copley Square, saying the ban had nothing to do with terrorism. Senator Elizabeth Warren also railed against the ban at a rally held in Copley Square last Sunday. Donald Trump has issued an executive order that is illegal, that is unconstitutional, and that is immoral. Junior Senator Ed Markey has also publicly opposed the executive order, leaving Governor Charlie Baker as the last major politician in the state to remain quiet on the issue. Even Police Commissioner Bill Evans has chimed in, saying that the BPD officers will not report any undocumented immigrants to federal authorities if immigrants have not committed a violent crime. And while we're talking about Evans, the commissioner outlined some traffic adjustments the BPD will be enforcing Sunday night. For those of you who haven't skipped ahead in this episode to Bree and Chris's section, there's a little ball game going on this weekend. As someone who's been in here for quite a few Patriots Super Bowls, our fans can get, let's say, passionate? So Evans and his department are taking precautions to make sure the celebrations don't get out of hand. Kenmore Square will be closed starting in the third quarter of Sunday night, so plan your travel accordingly. 
a couple other locations in the city will be shut down at around the same time. We'll put a link to all the closed streets in the show notes. That'll do it for Local. See you next week. And of course, go Pats! This week's Science and Tech segment is going to be focused on science. We have a special report from Aaron Wade from last December, who delved into the topic of male birth control. Take a listen. Hey Rob, what do you know about birth control? Well, as far as I know, there's a pill, and ladies take it, and it's called the pill, and um, it stops the babies. So what it sounds like is we probably need an expert in here. Luckily, luckily, we've brought one. I'm Tori Powell, and I work in research as a research coordinator, and I have my master's in public health and am a science nerd on the side. So I hear tell that there was a male birth control trial that happened and was canceled. Can you give us some details on that? Sure. So there was a male birth control trial. It was of injectable birth control for men. The study involved 10 different centers all over the world. And essentially what happened was after some amount of time, there was a review committee that decided the side effects from birth control were too risky and too dangerous and that the risks outweighed the benefits and they canceled the trial. So what was in the shot? So the injections contain progestogen and testosterone. Progestogens are a class of steroid hormones. So progesterone is what's in female birth control and it belongs to the class of progestogen. Okay, so what exactly were the side effects of this combination of drugs? So there were a number of side effects that were reported in this study, but the main ones that the committee was concerned about were mood changes, depression, pain at the injection site, and increased libido. How many men were involved in the study? There were 320 participants. Were a lot of the men who were involved in the study exhibiting mild to moderate symptoms of mood disorders? In the overall study, there were 65 mood disorders reported. The interesting thing about this is 62 out of 65 of the reported emotional disorders were reported from one center, which is a little odd, and they were all classified as mild. And how common is that sort of thing with female birth control? I mean, mood disorders and mood changes are reported as fairly common for female birth control. And I think just general experience, women tend to know that that's a common side effect. So why do you think that the male birth control study was canceled as a result of these sorts of mood disorders, but that female birth control is so widely used and available when it has some of the same symptoms? I think that's definitely the interesting question here. And I think it's one that was raised and caused quite a stir when the study first came out. And honestly, I don't think there's a good answer. And I think one of the things that this really implies is that we really need better birth control options across the board. And if this committee had decided that these side effects were serious enough, that the risks outweighed the benefits for men, then why don't those risks outweigh the benefits for women? That being said, though, I think the narrative that these men wimped out is really unfortunate because signing up for a clinical trial is actually a really kind of scary and difficult thing to do. You know, you're getting into something that's really unknown for the greater good of scientific knowledge, which I think is a really commendable thing. And one of the other things that came out at the end of the study was actually a majority of participants said that they would use this method, that they actually liked it and they approved of it. Towards the end of the study, about 80% across the board said that they would use a method of contraception like this if it were available. So even though the study was canceled and these participants were aware that it was canceled and what the side effects were, they were still willing to use it, which I think says a lot. Thank you so much. 
No problem. All right, Boston, it is that time for Beyonce to announce her pregnancy. No, just kidding. It's time for the sports segment of the Friday Five. All right, everybody. So let's talk hockey. Now, I may not be from Boston or know many things about hockey whatsoever, but don't worry. I've brought someone who actually does know these things. Because if you live in Boston, you should know that it is beanpot time. I have brought in Bun's sports editor, Taylor Raglan, to help explain what exactly this means. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Beanpot is an annual tournament uh, between the four main Boston teams, Harvard, Northeastern, BU, and BC. Obviously, it doesn't count for, for conference standings, for anything like that. It's just bragging rights. It's, it's a Boston institution. This will be the 65th year uh, that, that they're playing it. So, yeah, it's just a beginning of the end, I should say, of, of the hockey season. As you go from, from bean pod and you move into the final month of regular season play and then into your, your conference tournament and then hopefully, you know, if you're if you're one of the teams to NCAAs from there. So it's kinda of just the, the kickoff of the home stretch in a way. Uh, this year the women started actually in January, which is which is a little strange. They played uh, the 31st, I believe it was. Uh, the BU women lost to BC. Uh, a little bit of a heartbreaker for them. Uh, so they're unfortunately out of out of contention already, uh, and that will make at least it'll be at least 37 years now before they before they win another beanpot. They last won one in, in 1981. So um, BC and Northeastern will play for the women's uh, championship, and then Harvard and BU will play in the consolation game. What does it look like for the men's hockey team right now for their chances in the beanpot? I think they're feeling better. Uh, obviously, a week ago or so they had. Uh, the number one ranking come out in the USCHO.com poll, which is you know, the most nationally respected poll. And then right after that, they, they lost two in a row to Merrimack. First time Merrimack's ever swept BU uh, in a season series, you know, not across season to season. Pretty demoralizing losses, but I think at the same time, it kind of taught them a little bit of humility. And I think they learned from that. They came out against UMass Lowell uh, in the game after that and got a win over a good, a good top 10 team. They got one more game uh, tonight against UMass. Uh, they beat them uh, at Frozen Fenway earlier this month, or earlier last month, I guess. So it's, uh, the environment is very different, too. I mean, BU and BC have big crowds, especially when they play each other, when they get yeah. together. I mean, those are huge games, but it's nothing like playing in TD Garden uh, on a Monday night at 8 p.m. You know, with totally different circumstances, you kind of just have to throw out everything before that uh, and, just, and just approach it for what it is. It's a much more even playing field this year than people give it credit for. I think BU has a lot to be confident about. I would expect them to beat BC, and I would expect Harvard to beat uh, Northeastern and, and set up a BU-Harvard championship game. That's the matchup I think a lot of people would like to see in the championship, but like I said, it's it's open. All right, thank you very much, Taylor. And if you want to know more about the Beanpot and as it goes on, Taylor and other sports writers will be writing it on our Buns webpage. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. Anyway, if you somehow didn't know, it's kind of a huge weekend for the Patriots. What's going on this weekend? I'm just kidding. I mean, they're kind of doing this thing called the Super Bowl on Sunday. Have you heard of that? I think I've heard of that. Maybe <laughs> twice. Okay, so after Atlanta won easily against my Green Bay Packers, it wasn't hard to see that this Falcons offense is, of course, to be reckoned. Now, quarterback Tom Brady told reporters that the Patriots' offense and defense will have to be firing on all pistons to win against this hot Atlanta offense. 
has scored more points than any other team in the league. So, you know, we can't afford miscommunication on third down. We can't miss a blitz pickup on third down like Seattle did, like Green Bay did. Because if you miss one of those and you get the ball back five minutes later down seven more points, that's how they get away from teams. Coach Belichick is also confident in his quarterback and talked to reporters about how Brady gets ready for these big games. Tom works very hard. Tom prepares well, always has. He's very diligent in his preparation. It's not an up-and-down thing at all. It's consistent every week in terms of learning the defense, learning their schemes, learning their players, uh, getting our game plan, making sure that he knows what we're doing and how we're doing it, and then getting into situational football as we get closer to the game. Anyway, if you somehow didn't know, it's kind of a huge weekend for the Patriots. What's going on this weekend? I'm just kidding. I mean, they're kind of doing this thing called the Super Bowl on Sunday. Have you heard of that? I think I've heard of that. Maybe once or twice. (laughs) Okay, so after Atlanta won easily against my Green Bay Packers, it wasn't hard to see that this Falcons offense is a force to be reckoned with. Now, quarterback Tom Brady told reporters that the Patriots' offense and defense will have to be firing on all pistons to win against this hot Atlanta offense. Coach Belichick is also confident in his quarterback and talked to reporters about how Brady gets ready for these big games. So, what are we thinking about the Super Bowl, Bray? Well, honestly, Chris, if you had told me at the beginning of the season that the Falcons would be in the Super Bowl, I would have laughed hysterically in your face. Atlanta winning the division was not a surprise to me. But come playoff time, I did not expect them to run through the Packers like that. What do you think is the biggest thing going for the Patriots going into this game, and what do you think they should be worried about the most? Okay, offensively, they've always found a way to make it work, and Tom Brady always finds a way to make it work. People criticize him a lot because of the kind of line he has, but in terms of a receiving core, he really doesn't, it does not compare to Atlanta's, and he still makes it work. So you have to give them credit for that, and you know how they're going to prepare. It's Super Bowl appearance number seven. They're not going to give this up, especially with an opportunity to make Roger Goodell the most uncomfortable person in America. <laughs> what they should be worried about the most, honestly, like, like Brady and Belichick said, their defense has to be on point. The way they play against the run I'm, I would be worried about if I were the Patriots, especially with the way Devontae Freeman has been playing. That is someone that's going to open up Atlanta's offense. And as soon as their offense is open with him, Julio and Sanu can run wild. So that's what I would worry about. Uh, my predictions. Well, if the Patriots win, which would be awesome because... Not only will we get to enjoy that slight moment of uncomfortability for Goodell, <laughs> but we will also get to enjoy a parade here, which I don't think either one of us have ever really experienced. Before. No. Okay. Okay. My prediction: Ireland wins, but Crumb gets a snitch. Just kidding. <laughs> it's a Harry Potter reference. If we didn't get that, folks. <laughs> uh, my prediction: Patriots thirty-eight, Falcons thirty-two. That is a pretty good high-scoring game. I think we'll go in your ballpark, too. It'll be 34-31 with the edge to the Pats. All right, guys. <laughs> that should do it. Super Bowl 51 will be this Sunday. Kickoff begins at 630. You better be watching because those commercials are always on the board. <laughs> <laughs> and Gaga. Oh, and Gaga. Isha, it's good to see you again. 
good to see you too. Did you have a good break? Yep, I went home, so I'm not used to this winter back now. I'm still not used to it. I'm also from a milder uh, climate, so this cold winter, I'm already ready for it to be done. But luckily it hasn't been too too bad. Yeah, we just had like one snow day. This so. one. I could use a few more snow days, honestly. But anyways, Isha, the big question is, people want to know, what were you watching on Netflix over the break? I was watching The Crown. I actually binged watch it quite a bit. I have to say it's fascinating watching British history from their point of view as an Indian. Oh yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. I haven't watched it yet, but I am a sucker for a good British period dramas, so I think I'm going to get suckered into that one quick. Did you watch anything else? Um, no. Did you watch anything else? I watched a show called The Young Pope. In it, Jude Law is the Pope. As you imagine, he's young, he's a little rash, <laughs> he's not quite what you'd expect, and it's just fun to watch. Because the popes we're used to are usually a bit older, a bit more reserved, but Jude Law is rarely that. So <laughs> he's also just beautiful. So he's probably the best looking pope we'll, we'll ever get. But also the big news he show, the Oscar picks were announced. I was just obsessively catching up on Oscar news right now. Oh yeah, do you have a favorite? Oh, Casey Affleck. Maybe because it's Manchester by the Sea, and I'm, I, I really want a Boston-based movie to win. That's true. That movie gave me a lot of feelings. Yeah. Good thing I saw it by myself. <laughs> Another movie where I also felt a lot of emotions was La La Land. And I know that it's just like kind of the easy one to love, but I love it. I've seen it three times already. I kind of hope it wins so I can sing and dance when it does. <laughs> I wish my life was like La La Land, let's be honest. Anyways, enough chit chat about TV and film. Let's talk about what the folks can go do this weekend. And the big thing is Chinese New Year kicked off last week. Yeah, you're of the rooster. You're the rooster. I am personally you're of the you're the sheep, which isn't quite as exciting. <laughs> Do you know what yours is? No, haven't checked. My brother is you're the dragon. I've always been so jealous of him. Mm. There's also more celebrations this weekend, and one's at the Museum of Fine Arts. Um, it's just another celebration of the year of the rooster, Lunar New Year. There's going to be great food, performances of different dance companies, martial arts, kung fu. Um, it's going to go from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. tomorrow. Get the Museum of Fine Arts, and the best part, completely free. We like to send you guys to the free stuff because we're students, we understand the struggle. Yep, free is my best kind of celebration to go to. So another free event is tonight at the SOAFers Friday, which SOAF stands for South of Washington Street. And uh, what goes on here is just kind of there's lots of galleries, restaurants, they're all open. Just go out and peruse them. I know it's going to be cold, but a lot of things you can jump into real quick to warm up and get some good shopping done. Sounds like a nice Friday night. Sounds like a great Friday night. A little a little more chill. You can do that and then go watch uh, uh, one of the shows you recommend. Or even Sherlock. I think we forgot to talk about Sherlock. Oh my god, I have so many things to say about Sherlock. <laughs> it came back after three years and I was basically like waiting for three years for Sherlock to come back every day. And once it came back, it was so worth the wait. I haven't watched that one yet too. There's so much to catch up on. But over this weekend, I'm also excited because I don't know if you like going to the theater. I do, but theater's expensive, Landry. Well, here's the thing, Isha. Plays at the BU Playwrights Theater, us BU students can go for $10. Just $10. Oh, that's doable. And there's a pretty cool one this weekend, um, especially since it's involved in journalism. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of journalism students there. It's called The Atheist, where Augustine Early, a crooked journalist, has made an art of clawing her way up the professional ladder when she turns a politician's tawdry predilections into front-page news. The scandal threatens to undo the one person she thought was immune. So, 
<laughs> Sounds, Sounds exciting to me. It does. Sounds dramatic. I also like to read it dramatically, so maybe that helps. Yeah. But that is at the Boston Playwrights Theater. That's tonight and tomorrow at 8 p.m., Sunday at 2 p.m. Again, tickets are only $10, so check that out. Do you have any Super Bowl plans? I'm not. I probably shouldn't say this in Boston, so close to Super Bowl weekend, but I am not a sports fan. So I'm going to be skipping the Super Bowl. You know, Isha, it's okay. I'm not much of a sports fan either. This is a safe space in the arts segment <laughs> to say things like this. But there is one thing that might get me to go to a Super Bowl party. What is it? That's food. Oh, yeah. Specifically chili. A chili cook-off. It's going on at the Aeronaut Brewing Company, Sunday from 6 to 10 p.m., totally free. And when you go, there's going to be all this chili. It's a chili competition. You can make your own chili. They're going to have awards for uh, best vegetarian, most spicy, and best overall. And get this, it's called the Super Snarky Bowl slash Chili Cook-Off Party. <laughs> I might go for that Super name. Super Snarky. So I think <laughs> that name <laughs> that name is enough for me. And I love chili. Chili cornbread is one of the best combinations of food. So I'll likely maybe see you there. Yep. Chili and Super Bowl on Sunday. And maybe we just want to go watch. We'll just eat. That's what I usually do on Sunday nights anyways. <laughs> or any night. Or any, oh, you got me each or any night. With that, this ends this week's Buns Friday Five for February 3rd, 2017. Don't worry, we will be back next week with all the latest news from Boston and around the country. For the Buns Friday Five, I'm Landry Harlan. And I'm Chris Tanza. Have a fantastic week. <laughs>